Hello, everyone. Welcome. It's our post-week 17 show. The regular season is over, and yet we are here splashing away as always. And we are live once again, so thank you to everybody as you start to stream into the chat. We appreciate you guys. We'll obviously be watching that as well as we go. But I'm Chris Spaggs, joined once again by your friend and mine. He is the cash game king, dominating in terms of ROI. He's Peter Overzet. How are you doing, Pete? Yeah, man. I mean, 74.6% of my head-to-heads, just a massive week. I've never felt the rush quite like playing cash games this week. And, uh, you know, it's it's a bummer that we don't have any more main slates. I might have, might have been tempted to keep it going. I want to talk more about the cash game thing because that's obviously a bit that Pete brought to life and really uh, made it sing as well if you saw some of his results. But um, let's talk first about the quick plugs. Make sure you guys hit that like button and subscribe here. We're on our march to 500 subs and uh, we're so close now, Pete, that I feel like maybe this is the kind of time where you could say something to motivate the people here to, to tell their friends, really just cold call people and tell them, hey, subscribe to Splash Play. This is, uh, it doesn't matter who this is. I just want you to have better fantasy football content. <laughs> I've been I've been rewatching uh, old seasons of Survivor with my wife. It's just like kind of our random uh, show we will toss on at night. And we were watching the first season, and this guy was doing this bit where he would be talking on the phone, like at camp with everybody, but like he kept pushing it to like an extreme where it was just so uncomfortable. He'd be like, "Hey, you know, hang on, I can't make this like bamboo bed right now," and just talking on the phone, and everyone's like who the fuck is this guy, man? Like, what is the deal? And it was a nice reminder for me about sometimes you can push a bit too far. <laughs> that said, please subscribe to the channel. Otherwise, I will be forced to do elaborate bits on elaborate bits that never end and that are extremely painful. Yeah, that we don't want to see that on this show, especially as football season ends and we're sh- struggling to put together content once a week with a mentally burned out <laughs> feed on the other side. But uh, but either way, we appreciate you guys being on board. Also, check out the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, all that. And if you follow at Splash Play Pod, we are still following people back on there because we care and want you guys in our lives. So make sure uh, you're doing all that stuff. But Pete, the big week 17 stories as always, once again. And and honestly, I was wondering if we should just even pretend that it wasn't a splash play listener this week. But this week again, Pete, D, uh, what is his name? D Thiele or DT Healy, unclear. But another one of our cherished listeners with an ironic DFS army avatar winning the millionaire maker. Yeah, I know it is so that is so ironic. I think I recognize that name from the comment section. One of our loyal listeners. How have we not made it a thing yet to have 17 millimaker winners and not one of them is using a splash play avatar? Like what the hell? Well, that's the thing. We don't have like a, uh, an avatar program here. We're not doing anything premium. Everything is free, so there's no incentive there. But uh, yeah, I know. I just thought like he probably saw the DFS army one. It was like that's basically like the splash play guys. He's a cool bro who cares about combat and DFS army guys, actually no offense. Anybody who signed up there seem like the worst people in DFS. <laughs> the, the logo is so bad too. <laughs> like it, it's, it's the one that's like the, like the chubby, like potato head looking guy with like yeah. the, the pith helmet on or whatever. Yeah, yeah, He's got like a, he's ready for action there. He's got his yeah. helmet and yeah, DFS army. It's, it's like the branding that was made by some 55 year old guy who like saw one of those truck mats on the back of the tire and was like, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> is this our first beef? Yeah. Bang, bang. <laughs> at DFS Army Splash Play versus DFS well, I feel Army. like I kind of took on some of your run pure beef. I didn't like them being mean <laughs> to you about being a TikTok star. I think that's a great accomplishment. If we were TikTok stars, we'd be killing it. I know. You know what? Uh, that's the thing. They kept saying that. And now I'm like known for it. I was like, all I had to do was TikTok for two months and I was a TikTok star. So, I mean, I'll take it. 
you're practically a D'Amelio sister at this point. That's, that's one of those references too, where like, I know who that is. I know they're the biggest stars. I have no idea what they do content wise or what they're all about. They, um, all I know is, so, you know, they obviously got big on TikTok and then they were like, okay, it's hard to monetize. I think on TikTok, unless you're getting a sponsored, you know, post deal. And so they spun up a YouTube channel and their family the very first episode, one of the DeMello sisters got canceled. Basically, that like they had a chef make them a meal, and she like I spit it out. And then she was complaining about how she was so close to like a hundred million subscribers. And then people started unfollowing her. It was it was great. I kind of like the TikTok drama. It's it's pretty good to sweat. Yeah, there's something with the likability factor that maybe goes away when you have to talk for minutes on end instead of a a short. 30 second dance, <laughs> but either way, um, neither here nor there. We, people aren't here for TikTok star debates, even though they probably should be. Honestly, we could, we can go on that all day, but the, a lot, the winning lineup here, Kirk cousins and Pete, I know this is one of your, uh, one of your shell build guys, one of your cash game King moves that you had in your cash games this week. But Kirk cousins, honestly, I didn't, I thought he was going to be a little bit over owned. I didn't see him being the guy who breaks the slate as one of the top value QB plays. And, uh, that's where I guess, uh, DT Healy got different from me, but, but not from you. He was right there lock and step yeah no that was one of those when the gpp bros told me that uh he was like 30 percent owned in the spy and i don't know what what was his ownership in the millie did you say uh 15 he was like 10 to 15 in pretty much every tournament i was in oh yeah gpp bro pete would have faded that so hard uh <laughs> yeah I, I did not like it at that ownership yeah, it's uh, surprising here, but definitely the, the cash game play and the GPP play of the week at running back. He did not stack him up. So that's another, again, maybe the influence is coming there. He's not stacking him up like we talk about going full cash game for DT Healy. Running back, though, he went Jonathan Taylor and Alex Madison, a guy that, quite frankly, I want a victory lap already. People were so down on Madison and then. One thing that I thought people just didn't get was he had his bad game filling in for Dalvin against uh, the Falcons and the Falcons we saw as the year went on just oppressed so many running backs held them down uh, from their normal production where I was pretty comfortable going back to Madison at 3x the field and and here he is showing up here Jonathan Taylor as well an, an obvious smash play we need to talk more about but Pete how did you feel about Madison going into this week because he was not a cash game guy you would think based on the ownership. No, and I would have guessed that I probably would have had a bunch of him if I played tournaments because, yeah, there were probably four or five other running backs I think people were getting funneled to in cash games. He was just kind of in this weird dead zone where people are taking advantage of the studs and duds thing, um, you know, using Ty Montgomery, maybe Ty Johnson to get up to Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb. So, yeah, Madison seemed like a, a great tournament play. Of course, we continue to see these kind of weird correlations in the Millie Maker lineup with the QB and the running back here, but then you get that screen pass uh, that he took to the touch for a touchdown, and uh, you're you're halfway there. Yeah, Madison, I've I've always thought he you know he looks like Dalvin when he's on the field. The results have looked like Dalvin. I'm not going to get the same workload that Dalvin gets, but with Dalvin uh, Cook missing this week with the passing of his father, uh, did seem like a spot here for Madison to show that he still got it heading into next year. And uh, I was happy to see it for him. Another guy I was happy to see it go well for Brandon Cooks, uh, who kind of put out a. I'd say a sad quote or like kind of a wistful quote about how he doesn't want to get traded again and how if he gets traded again, he's not going to show up for his new team. And and he also wants to keep playing with Deshaun. feels like he's fantastic. He's happy there. And I felt like this is one narrative that I really bought into this week. Uh, Brandon Cooks was one of my highest exposed guys. And he went off in a major way where uh, I feel like this is the old Brandon Cooks, though. You do kind of need to see a situation like he had this week and has had a last few weeks where there's no number two guy. There's no Will Fuller taken away. And when Brandon Cooks gets fed, he's a monster. 
Yeah, and that was a great game environment. I think it had the highest total on the week. Everyone wanted to play the Titans because of motivation stuff, but it's like if you're getting a ceiling game from those Titans, it means the Texans are having to put the the pedal to the gas as well. So, yeah, Brandon Cooks was an awesome play there. And uh, did he have any Titans? Did he have Henry? Um, he actually, no, did not have Derrick Henry. His uh, f- his flex position went to Antonio Brown, uh, who got there on a big day, thanks in part to Mike Evans getting hurt early, but also just uh, I think he had some bonuses to hit. Brady fed him pretty well. Yeah, so he had a, uh, three three wide receivers in addition to Cooks. He had Judy, Marvin Jones, who was a, another popular play that did go off, and Antonio Brown. So he didn't go, he didn't, yeah, didn't get the Derrick Henry monster day. Yeah, I guess it is hard at that price tag uh, for those guys to make it into the winning Millie Maker lineup. Antonio Brown, that was uh, that was a nice play. Both him and Chris Godwin really going off uh, for the Bucks. I like that one off there. And Jerry Judy, a guy as well, who I, you know, the Air Yards guys have been all over him all year long talking about it. For whatever reason, I I haven't quite bought into the Jerry Judy hype as much, but um, he got there in part again thanks to Tim Patrick going out early in that game. I would say had a like a ninety yard touchdown that he broke for that. And Mike Kosicki at tight end, along with the Jets defense, <laughs> a very cheap defense that scored only two fantasy points. So that is DT Healy's millionaire maker winning lineup. And any other thoughts on this lineup, Pete? I feel like, you know, there were better plays. One play, which I think you could take umbrage with in our ride or die picks. You had Isaiah McKenzie being a millionaire maker winning play, and he scored more than Jerry Judy and did not make that line. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah, I nailed that call. He was like the random week 17 hero. I would bet he was maybe in a couple of the other lineups in the top 10, but uh, just didn't make it into the perfect one. We got Daniel in the chat mentioning uh, the 1 p.m. wide receiver in the flex. It would not be a Millie Maker winner uh, if they did not make some kind of structural mistake in their lineup. Uh, DFS Army really has to plug that leak uh, if they're having their guys. Um, he, If he was watching our show like he is supposed to be uh, more regularly, he would not have done that. Yeah, that's the thing. The DFS Army guys probably shamed him off of his proper GPP construction that we've taught him over the years. But uh, yeah, it was it's one of those things where, you know, week 17 going to be the wildest of, of Wild West weeks for the most part. I feel like week 17 and week one in the NFL, those are the ones where things get the most squirrely. And uh, that was the case this week. So congrats to DT Healy, even though he has chosen to show his allegiance to the DFS Army. I mean, I get it. Those are some alpha males over there talking DFS. We just can't compete here as a data forward nerds like we are. Yeah, it's tough, man. Uh, it's uh, the, it's Nerd Bash 2021. It just continues. The aggro bros, man. It's uh, put another one in the wind column for them while Spags and I get stuffed into a locker. Unbelievable. So I'm going to offer you an option here, Pete. It's going to be a little choose your own adventure if the chat wants to chime in too, you guys can. But do we, do we want to talk about the ride or die results for the regular season now that it's been complete, tabulated? Willis can double check if he wants. But there are a couple interesting things this week that I think do dovetail with what we just talked about. So I think it's worth it. But we can also just talk week 17 if you want to save that. No, no, let's let's get. I feel like it's all intertwined. Uh, week 17, ride or die. It's what people are here for. I don't, uh, you just jogged my memory about the Isaiah McKenzie. So I'm going to have, uh, you're going to have to fill me in on how I did. So Pete went all 10 point plays. He was trailing heading into the week. So that was his strategy here after, you know, doing a lot of hero ball throughout the year, you took it in and Pete, unfortunately, if we're going by the letter of the law here, you were zero for 16 in this final week. <laughs> oh, for, I didn't get a single 10 pointer. <laughs> no, you did not. Gosh, Isaiah McKenzie. What do you mean? Letter of the law. 
So like Isaiah McKenzie, I feel like should count. Like he no. was there. And like Dalton Schultz was a better play than Gasicki. Like I feel like you had plays that were sharp enough to have justified getting in there. They just didn't get there. No, no, I, I, uh, I'm not taking any, uh, easy ones. I, I played, I could have, I could have restructured those. I could have said Isaiah McKenzie over 30 DraftKings points if I wanted to. So, uh, uh, I'll, I'll take my L's. I, I can take L's. So one other thing too, Davis Maddock was our guest on the last show. And, um, either way, regardless of the results of this particular play, uh, he beat me. I put up 20 points. Davis put up 23, but here's one where he could actually get to 33, depending on if we want to take this one, Pete, he said, Derek Henry over 250 rushing yards. You know how many rushing yards Derek Henry had? <laughs> 249. Yeah. No. Oh, 250 on the dot. I think I think we can give the push. Okay. It's like the, I, the house wouldn't a, a casino. If we were treating this like casino, which we have at times throughout the year, it wouldn't be a 10 pointer. But um, I, I think if you get to, if, if you say he's gonna get 250 or over 250 and he gets 250, like I agree that just seems like a nice courtesy. We'll get the tie if it was one of us, not but tie goes to the guest, I think can okay. be a nice right. rule. So there you go. Here. So that actually makes Davis Maddock our highest performing guest of the year. Uh he actually does did a little better than Sal did in part because uh, Davis got three 10-point plays, got Jonathan Taylor in the Millie Maker winning lineup, got that Derrick Henry one that we're giving him, got John Wolford over 10 over oh. 50 rushing yards that was a 10 pointer and um i had a good week but i have to say if i'm gonna lose losing at the hands of john wolford just feels the right way to go out yeah man it's uh you live and you die by those backup quarterbacks and uh that's just how it goes and the overall results for the year so we can put a bow on it and talk about the things that actually matter with the nfl um on the year i have 203 total points pete 140 total points so that is a regular season standings and then pete for the actual head-to-heads which i know you say don't matter but to me it just feels good seeing my name there uh you won four weeks i won 11 weeks and we tied actually no excuse me i won 12 weeks and we tied one week no yeah none of that matters the whole reason we have the different point (laughs) denominations is because the weekly stuff doesn't matter but whatever you need to feel good about how this contest went is fine. <laughs> Look, I've enjoyed it. I feel like my my ride or die pick process has improved. And, and even if Davis comes in and, and puts it down, puts really just puts his dick in our ears, what that happened. Davis, I think, came in with, you, you booked him like five minutes before the show. He comes in, just th- like wallops us and ride or die picks and then leaves and never. Well, that's that's Davis's specialty. Uh, you know, he's he's a pro. He does a bunch of shows. So he's he's up to snuff on on his picks. And then he's a hot take artist too so to come in you know he was going to take some big swings there and uh he did exactly what you said he would do something with his penis in our ears <laughs> i just you know that's is that not dominance that's how i like to celebrate any dominant victories i have yeah we get the cancellation call here about 15 minutes into the episode welcome to splash play ladies and gentlemen it's only consensual dicks and ears that's what i say <laughs> you have to ask permission first have it verbally agreed on then you're good to go speaking of things that were not verbally agreed on and also i guess of of ear fuckery uh the eagles really last night screwed everybody so bad and uh it's one of those situations that you probably knew going in you probably didn't uh feel that good about the Eagles situation there were rumors that jalen hurts might get pulled early so we see some nate sudfeld that did happen but pete i feel like that eagles game arguably the most unfulfilling end to a season that could have possibly occurred um and for a variety of ways that we could talk about but uh washington i'm sure feeling good about it but that was just the limpest note to go out on I have to be completely honest. I was so drained and mentally and physically exhausted from cash game week that I did not make it uh, to that game. I did not play showdown. I did nothing. I uh, I didn't see it. So I, I legitimately don't know what happened. It seemed like Doug Peterson is under fire for 
some, was it clock management or just play calling? What, what, what are people upset at him about? So basically, so the start of the game, it was kind of odd where it seemed like the Eagles like had no desire at all to play. Then they, maybe somebody got a brow beating on the sideline and Jalen hurts came out a little more motivated. They then took an upturn where Washington was just giving the game away. Didn't seem like they wanted to win. Philly also turned the ball over a bunch. Then at the end of the third quarter, Jalen hurts is pulled for Nate Sudfeld and Jalen hurts. There's a clip of him on the sidelines, like getting pissed about it. Um, they actually had a good shot to win the game. The Giants are then tweeting during the game, like, what the fuck? Like, what's going on? Darius Slayton, your boy in particular, extra pissed. Not like he did anything to help the Giants get to the playoffs, but that's neither here nor there. But it was just one of those things where it's like, oh, shit, this is the worst possible everything. And Pete, this is also the first showdown I've had this year where nary a dollar came back. <laughs> so Stone Cold Zero, in large part, thanks to Travis Fulgham, who also hurt himself on the first play of the game and then kept coming in and not getting targeted. Hey, as a, as an old GPP bro, uh, you know, Ricky, Bobby, your first, your last. That's what I like to hear spags. That's how you know you're on the right track when you get $0 back. And I'm not even kidding. I saw Fulgham at 9% owner and I was like, this is it. This is the moment he comes back. No Alshon Jeffrey. They're sitting these guys. They want to get some younger guys a look. And instead they target JJ Arcega Whiteside, who um, both Al Michaels and uh, Chris Collinsworth over and over again pronounced with the Castilian Spanish version, which is Arcega Whiteside. And it's A, incredibly frustrating. B, he's the worst receiver in the league and he had a couple catches, but the way he catches the balls, he has to throw his entire body into it. So like he would fall down and catch the ball and it's like, and Fulgham's there looking all sexy looking looking ready to go and um yeah it was just honestly uh, the most tilting game possible i think to end the season with yeah i mean i I guess uh it the the game does sound painful i am i am happy the alex smith thing is a super cool story and it's not like any of these nfc east teams really have legs to go far so um i'm i'm happy for them and they have some fun dudes terry mclaurin antonio gibson those guys are fun to watch so uh, hopefully they can uh, they can at least turn a game into a shootout and give us a fun wild card game. Yeah, it should be an interesting matchup actually for uh, for Washington there because uh, Tampa Bay is a bit of a run funnel team and uh, and this team has been willing to uh, excuse me a pass funnel team and uh, the Washington football team really that's all they can do they've not got a lot of success on the ground last night uh, we'll see how that goes but let's talk about the rest of week seventeen and I feel like we got it I know Pete I was actually watching tilt space a little yesterday with you given some of your results I saw your tweet um, which I estimated I didn't pull up the numbers again I estimated you had a 0.6 percent ROI on your cash game so. That's positive. I don't, I might even be more. My math wasn't perfect, but you tell me, Pete, how did it go for you? How was this experience? I, yeah, I mean, you've talked about it in a lot of content, so you can just give the elevator pitch if you want. Yeah, no, the, um, I did do the early screenshot, uh, just because I wanted to show, uh, a very, uh, 50, 50 result. My overall, I ended up winning 74.6% of my head to heads. Oh. Um, my ROI, I talked about this morning. I think it was at like 17 point. Four one around there for overall ROI. I it made sense. Like I got beat in the one hundred to five hundred range. <laughs> Those were the best games uh, or the best players. Uh, although I got I got beat at a lot of levels, but just on the whole, my uh, I did very well in the fifties and unders, and uh, not well in the one hundred to five hundreds. Was there anything you picked up lesson wise? Like, is this actually going to be a thing? I know somebody just asked in the YouTube chat, if you're going to be a showdown cash guy, Daniel asking that, and is this going to be how you go moving forward? Because, uh, you know, playoff DFS could in some ways lend itself even more to cash games because you do know where the, the touches, where the volume, where the snaps are going to go. Yeah. I mean, my only problem with, uh, I'm like completely open to playing more cash. I really enjoyed it. My two problems are I like being focused on one specific thing. 
Um, I like going all in on something. So going all in on cash this week felt good. Go when I go all in on GPPs, that feels good. So I don't like balancing it. And I do want to play tournaments for playoffs and then showdown cash. Like the reason this was actually a fun cash slate is because there were so many ways you could build. Like there weren't, I think on a, a lot of regular weeks, everyone lands on very similar builds. Like there were a ton of different builds. Some people paying up for Lamar, some people punting it off, some people using two of the 4K or running back. So this was a fun week to play cash. And with Showdown, there's just not as many viable ways to build. And so it's just less intellectually interesting and fun, I think. So I probably won't play Showdown cash, but um, who knows? Maybe I'll play some NBA cash. Uh, I think that might be a, a good sport to to get my cash on. Yeah, NBA cash. I mean, that's one that I used to play more. And uh, um, NBA to me is always one of my most profitable sports. So maybe that's a bit of a, of a you know skewing thing. But with cash, I feel like NBA that's by far the easiest sport. Like NFL, I know people talk a lot about NFL cash. I know your pal Adam Levitan has made almost a career of talking about the cash games. But uh, but NBA, I think the easiest by far. Like even more than baseball, from my estimation. Yeah, um, I think yeah. For I I do legit respect the uh the cash game grinders that do it week in and week out uh the tilt for cash games was like rough like especially because with gpps you know when marvin jones goes off or whatever jonathan taylor and you don't have them you're just like good game i'm done for the day but in cash you're trying to like eke out any possible win so like every little thing matters and then you're like you know i had kirk cousins but didn't have marvin jones so it's like this roller coaster of oh i'm buried oh no i'm back in because of kirk and it was a an agonizing day long tilt to grind out a 17 you know percent roi so the people that take on that burden without like the massive upside at the end of the uh the rainbow so to speak uh i respect that man you guys are masochists so there you go. So the grind is real. Now you know it firsthand and now you can hopefully become a better GPP player or a better cash game player, depending upon where your heart lies. Uh, let's talk Mike Evans, because this injury, I think, is an important one to hit on. Also one uh, that really was just upsetting to me. But Mike Evans uh, got a knee injury, one touchdown catch, or really had a touchdown catch in his hands, but his knee got tweaked in the process, then ends up dropping it. Then Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown go off for really two of the biggest stack days combined, except I guess nobody played the Tom Brady, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown stack. But Evans is one of the guys I was heaviest on the field on. And, uh, you know, I was under at uh, the cost of Mike Evans was Marvin Jones. So Brandon Cooks bailed me out enough, but that was one of those plays where I was like, well, that's a GPP life where, you know, you're, you're screwed right away. But also just one of those things they are heading into the playoffs. Mike Evans being hurt. This is kind of a big deal and kind of I don't think it's going to matter too much given how Brady uh, you know, spreads the ball around. But Evans has led the team in terms of yardage share and touchdown share on the year. And I don't think it's a good sign that he might be out. No, it, it's not a good sign. I think he's, I know people love Chris Godwin. I get it. I, I think Mike Evans is is their best receiver. Uh, and I think he proved it this year. And yeah, from a, a fantasy standpoint for week 17, if you knew Mike Evans was going to leave the game early, everyone would have been jamming Godwin in Brown because then it just cleans things up. And now you have a more condensed target share. So it makes sense that both of those guys went off. But yeah, I mean, Evans, I think is the class there. And I, I think Brady will feel that in the playoffs. I mean, mm -hmm. part of what's carrying them right now is just this prolific offense and how many options they have. So if you take Evans out of that, they get a lot more pedestrian in my opinion.
Yeah, I would agree. But uh, that's one of the downsides of Week 17. I wanted to talk about some of the heroes of Week 17 a bit more because there were some real outlier performances. I think for fantasy-wise in particular, for betting, all that stuff. If you're watching on YouTube, by the way, hit that like button. If you're in the live chat especially, just help us out. Hit that like button. But if you're watching after the fact as well, just giving your favorite YouTube channel, whether it be us or anybody, just giving them likes helps them get seen by more people, helps them grow. That's sort of the goal of this process. So please do that for us. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I think, was to me the biggest story of the week. Like Derrick Henry, obviously capping off a monster year we can talk about that in a second but 30 carries 253 yards two touchdowns for taylor he looked borderline unstoppable at points and granted this is against jacksonville but i feel like this is the jonathan taylor people wanted to see coming into the year and then there were the brief flirtations with naheem hines and even jordan wilkins for a while there and now it's jonathan taylor looking like the money back and to me i think that statement he put down yesterday like he probably should be a top five pick going into next year's fantasy football but what do you think about him how were you as impressed as i was by the young man yeah, and I already saw there were some guys who got together and did like a look ahead 2021 draft, and I believe someone took Jonathan Taylor third overall. So I think that's pretty safe to say he's going to be a top five pick next year in season long. Uh, yeah, he was an awesome prospect coming in. You know, he had that rough stretch, but we've seen a lot of rookie running backs that don't get going until the end of the season, like rookie running backs being league winners. That's a pretty normal, uh, regular phenomenon. Uh, field Yates had uh, some interesting stats for him from week 11 on. He had the second most rushing yards in the NFL, 741, the third most TDs, seven in 6.2 yards per carry. So just an absolute monster down the stretch. And if you were able to kind of build around him, draft him and just stash him uh, and get to the playoffs without him, then he really carried you. Yeah, I, I was very impressed by it. I think it's an interesting point you made too about the rookies where like in basketball, there is sort of a rookie wall that people have talked about where players get less effective because they're just not used to playing, you know, the volume of games, the amount of travel. We'll see if that's the same case this year with a little bit less travel going on. But in football, it's, you know, a lot about opportunity and just having healthy bodies. And sometimes a guy like Taylor getting preserved by not getting a lot of work early. We saw him finish the season. We didn't see Christian McCaffrey. We didn't see a lot of these guys finish the season. So I think it's a valid point. Um, an older guy who I we talked about a little, but I was just happy to see Brandon Cooks go off 11 catches, 166 yards, two touchdowns on 16 targets. I just feel bad for the guys who are journeymen and Cooks in particular, you know, getting traded sort of against his own wishes. I think maybe one of the trades was one that he requested. But besides that, like a guy has just been moving around and it feels like he's got a home for the Texans, assuming that they don't do something stupid like hiring a run first coach who's going to screw everything up. Like they don't have Will Fuller signed for next year. They do have Cooks. I feel like Cooks is the kind of guy like Watson and Cooks should be like a volatile, like I would put them in a best ball team if I were drafted right now. Yeah, I'm stoked for Brandon Cooks because he's had one of these weird careers where he's bounced around to so many teams. He's been fortunate enough to basically always play with good QBs, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Uh, I guess you could say Jared Goff wasn't like an elite QB, but still, yeah, I believe Allen Robinson would take Jared Goff at this point <laughs> in his career. Uh, but yeah, he's just always been a great solid player, has dealt with the concussion and head issues, which at times have looked very close to derailing or ending his career. Uh, but yeah, man, he's a stud. He's another one of those guys from that 2014 draft class, along with Mike Evans that have just had a really great career. And Deshaun Watson now looks like the best stylistic fit for his game. So I, I hope they re-sign Will Fuller. I think Fuller and Cooks is a pretty sick combination uh, at wide receiver. 
Yeah, that's an explosive offense. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they feel like Fuller's a luxury and that maybe you can get a speedster in the draft. But we know how that goes out where, you know, the guys like Ruggs end up not being factors. And it's hard to find a Will Fuller. So we'll see how the Texans handle that with a new coaching staff, maybe some new people, new decision makers in place. And and also, did you ever read that piece about the Jack Easterby guy who's like there was their team chaplain and now is like some sort of little finger Game of Thrones style? It's like a crazy story that was in, I think, SI a couple weeks ago. But it's like this dude who was, I think, the Patriots chaplain and just like a religious guy. And now he's like one of the guys wielding all the power in Houston. And I supposedly got Bill O'Brien fired. Wow. No, I, I'll have to uh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, definitely could be a part of the process here. Could have been a narrative that we could have used in DFS a couple weeks ago. Uh, another guy who went off that I feel like always on the cusp of going off and never really in this big of a way, or at least not frequently. Marvin Jones, eight catches, 180 yards, two touchdowns on 11 targets. Also could have had a third one that would have made things even tougher to dig out of whether you had Brandon Cooks or not. But Jones, you know, it's weird to me that he goes off week 17. Granted, Stafford looked extra motivated. Like this team, this Lions team might get disbanded this year. And they've always been a team that felt like they should get better results, especially in this vertical passing league we're in. And I just don't know what to make of Marvin Jones, Pete. I don't know. I know you didn't have him in your head to head with Adam Lavitan. I did see your tweet about that, but uh, how are you feeling about Marvin Jones after he was really one of the stud plays by far of the week? Yeah. The Marvin Jones one is interesting because if he hadn't had his poor game last week, I think he would have been in probably virtually everyone's lineup, although maybe he wouldn't have been as cheap if he didn't have a bad game. But heading into, he had a three-target or three-catch game last week. The four previous weeks, he had 12 targets, 12 targets, 12 targets, and eight targets over that span. So he had been like this high-floor, high-usage guy, and then he put up the dud, and I think it just placed that kernel of doubt in a lot of us of like, oh, wait, is he still that boom-bust guy that we worry about, but I should have trusted the math more. He was in every single optimal lineup at 5,100. And um, yeah, and we've seen him do the random Marvin Jones thing, even with Galladay, where he has that one game, two games every year where he has three touchdowns. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm kicking myself a, a little bit for not getting on him. The decision I, who I would have had to get off of was LaVisca Chanel, who also had a great game, but not, uh, not Marvin Jones level great. Yeah, I mean, Visca relative to him getting two touchdowns, certainly a nice day. But yeah, like Marvin Jones really, you know, broke the slate meaningfully. Where like I thought Jacoby Myers was a good pivot at that price point. Um, he had a fine day, but wasn't anywhere close to Jones. As I mentioned, Mike Evans paying up a little bit there to try to get different. I just felt like Jones is going to be overowned. He ended up a little bit less owned than I think some of the ownership projections that I saw had. So that, that's life. But Marvin Jones capable of having these days, but probably still needs a Kenny Galladay type out there for him to be good week to week. Like it just seems like Marvin Jones can't be a wide receiver one every single week yeah it's uh i you know he's another guy my age bias probably uh gets me off of him more than i should but uh the targets were there uh he was their alpha down the stretch with uh kenny galladay you know doing his brazilian butt dances <laughs> the age bias for a 30 year old is he still age bias criteria i thought i feel like gotta be like 32 at least before you start getting uh shamed for your age no once you're over 30 you start to uh you gotta you get your projections docked <laughs> oh no that's that hurts me <laughs> it cuts deep as somebody marching past 30 as we get uh oh god more and more by the year so it would seem uh, another guy here derrick henry this is the one to me uh hero of week 17 but one that you could have 
easily predicted being a hero. And I think this is sort of where I, I'm going to assume you got to him in cash, but we'll, uh, we'll find out in a second. But Derrick Henry, 34 rushes, 250 yards, two touchdowns, becomes the eighth running back ever to rush for over 2,000 yards. Like this to me was a spot where I overthank it, over, overthank it, overthunk it, over overthought about it <laughs> down the home stretch for uh, because of the Titans' motivation where they were in the playoffs after the early games for the most part. I forgot about the 2,000 yards thing and how that was actually a decent possibility. And I just got too cute. I was like, maybe they only give us two quarters of Henry and then he's gone. And uh, I don't know. I just didn't get enough Henry. Still had uh, like a good amount, but I should have just slam dunked him in. And everybody probably should have slam dunked him in just because this is a perfect matchup against a team who can't defend the rush. And the Titans, you know, clearly wanted to feed him to get those records that he wanted to hit. Yeah, I, I heard that. I, I ended up in some of my head to heads where I was really behind where they had Kirk and Marvin Jones. And I didn't, I used that as kind of a tiebreaker of like, I'll keep Devonte Adams, but I'll swap off of Derrick Henry. Cause I knew all my opponents were going to have him. Uh, but yeah, I think that stuff is really hard to, to gauge and it's ultimately just guessing. And I do think that them trying to get him that 2000 yards, uh, was probably an overwhelming narrative to even their, their overall motivation there. So yeah, I mean, he had torched, the Texans last time they had played earlier in the year, he had the records on the line coming off of the dud game uh, against the Packers. So it did seem like the stars were aligning. Even uh, Derek Cardi, whose projections I use a lot over at Roto Grinders, who normally is pretty anti Derek Henry just because he never projects to catch a lot of passes. He had a monster projection on him. I think 150 rushing yards. Um, and so he was ending up in almost every optimal uh, as well. So I just kind of trusted the math on that one. And uh, I didn't have to be a GPP bro who faded Derrick Henry. Yeah, it's hurts. Like you could see a couple different approaches here where uh, Bach Nguyen in the chat saying, I set a rule for 80% Henry. It didn't look back. And usually that's not the move in NFL, especially where it's so variable, especially the touchdown part of things. Uh, but for Henry, you know, everything aligned here and, and Daniel pointing out the other side in the chat, AJ Brown was a better point per dollar play. Like that was what I did in a couple lineups where I was like, well, I'm going to pivot off of Henry now and just hope AJ Brown goes off in that first half before they pull guys. And that just ended up not being the move. So sometimes it is uh, like, like GPB bros. Uh, can be wrong. It might be more of a cash game time for a guy like Derrick Henry where just play the best plays and that was Derrick Henry. And uh, the other side of this, not playing the best plays, Sterling Shepard, I felt like was an unsung hero of week 17, maybe just for me because uh, he wasn't too highly owned, but eight catches for 112 yards and a TD on 10 targets plus two rushes for 24 yards and a TD. I just had to throw him in here because this game, he's been a guy who pops up a lot if you're using projections throughout the year and especially with Darius Slayton kind of taking a downturn in his usage here. But he was really the only guy in the Giants who did anything useful. Wayne Gallman fumbling down the home stretch, having to seize the ball with his butt cheeks to keep them in the even have a shot to make the playoffs. Like I thought Shepard was impressive. And I don't get what this offense is about when they're not feeding Slayton, but Shepard maybe the only useful guy you could look to. Yeah, I was tilting uh, Shepard a little bit because I had Evan Ingram in my lineup there. And uh, especially didn't Shepard had a, a rushing touchdown, right? Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes previously they've been giving Ingram some of those carries, uh, the end rounds and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it was a tilting day to be an Evan Ingram guy because, you know, Shepard's balling out. They're using Caden Smith, uh, Levine, Toliolo, all this stuff. And I, it was it, it was a reminder to uh, to always pay down at tight end. Go as far down as you can because these guys uh, very rarely deliver on their price tag. 
Yeah, I had I had a good amount of Waller and Kittle. Kittle was meh, not as good as I would have hoped he would have been. Uh, Beathard just completely shit the bed in the first half of that game. And Waller got there, but I agree, this year really more than any year was one where if you paid to play the cheapest tight ends who had decent projections or you know decent ability to get up there, the Logan Thomases of the world, uh, you probably would have made, made more money than not. So that's one of those uh, looking back things. If you could tell me one thing about the season, I feel like that I would know besides just giving me straight up lineups. I feel like just telling me like, hey, don't pay up for tight end ever might have been the most helpful strategy. Yeah, it's tricky though, right? Because Travis Kelsey had a career mm. year. Uh, it's basically like pay, play Travis Kelsey or go all the way down. Like playing yeah. in, living in that middle range. I, I guess Waller obviously had a couple massive games, but on the whole, um, those tight ends were, were pretty overpriced. All right, so let's talk about some of the fired coaches. And at the end of this segment, Pete, I want you to pick what your favorite job to have would be out of these, because I think that's going to be the approach here. We're not, or, or we could do it snake draft style, actually. Maybe we'll let's circle back. We'll, we'll find out the approach here, but we got to talk about the guys actually fired. The Jets firing Adam Gase. I feel like the one that's been written in the stars probably should have happened uh, last year, <laughs> two years ago, even uh, at least a couple weeks ago, but he's gone now. And uh, Pete, how are you feeling about this firing? I guess I, I don't expect you have a ton of thoughts necessarily, but uh, the Jets job, I don't think the most appealing. There were some rumors that David Shaw might be in the mix from Stanford, but um, do you have any feel here for this job and, and would you want to take it? I wouldn't want to take it of the uh, the ones that are going to be available. That said, it might not be as bad as we might think. You know, they're going to have a top pick. What are, are they settled into the, is it second pick? I believe so. Actually, we have a draft segment coming up, but I don't remember offhand. I think they're the second pick. Yeah, and so I mean they're gonna they're gonna be able to add a really good player. Um, I think uh, I think they've shown that they have some nice skill position players. Uh, of course, I love my guy Denzel Mims. Crowder is a nice, steady veteran presence there, and even their younger running backs, Ty Johnson and, and P Ryan, have looked good. Um, so I think there's a new era here. Obviously, it's going to take a couple year rebuild, and I think. You know, the way the Dolphins did their rebuild in the previous years where they get in a really good coach right away, even if they sacrifice getting the top pick, they build that culture, you know, they they build from the ground up. I feel like the Jets are a ways away from that. Like they do really need to tear everything down and start from scratch. But I think they got some stuff to work with. And, and in the NFL, it doesn't have to be like an NBA, you know, five-year rebuild. I think they could be good in a year or two but the organization really has to turn around some things. Yeah, the, the pathway to being good shorter, I think, is fixing Sam Darnold somehow. And you know, he's still been willing to throw the ball deep. I don't know if he's completely ruined. I do feel like Adam Gase has stunted his development in a way that's that's not the best. But um, you know, I think that's sort of where it begins because they're gonna have to make that choice. They are the number two pick, and uh, you know, they're gonna probably have Justin Fields there in front of them, who I think is gonna be the guy that's gonna be the most hyped to go in that spot. But if you keep Darnold and build around him, maybe take you know a defensive player, an impact player there, or maybe protect Darnold, give him some more weapons. There are ways for them to be better fast, but probably all depends on who they hire. Uh, another spot, I think this one actually sneaky, kind of appealing, and besides the fact that this is going to be where Visca is, obviously, but Jags firing Doug Marone, it does seem like uh, this spot I think could be beneficial where you have Chark, you have Colin Johnson who showed some flashes, you have James Robinson, you have a defense that wasn't good this year, but they also traded away a bunch of guys who were good, had the Yannick Ngawe issue where he forced his way out of town, so I'm sure that also threw him for the loop right before the season. But I like this job for the Jags. Like Marone clearly had to go, but they have talent, I think, to build, if, especially if you get a smart offensive mind. 
Yeah, this is uh this is an attractive job. You get the number one overall pick. So um, you know, I I'm not a you know hand in the dirt draft grinder. So I know there's already some people getting cold feet about Trevor Lawrence or whatever. But let's just say you get the pick of whatever quarterback you want, one overall. Like you said, they they nail James Robinson. Like they do not need to invest any more draft capital other than maybe some late round picks into running back. He looks great. You got my guy Visca, DJ Chark is a great uh, wide receiver. So I think they have a lot of the pieces. You just, you know, focus on that offensive line, some defensive pieces. And um, yeah, I think that's a really attractive job going down to Florida. What, there's no state tax down there. I mean, yeah. you're, you're really cooking. Yeah, and COVID will be gone by the time soon. So that's oh, COVID's that's already gone in Florida, from what I hear. That's true. They've been yeah. Everybody already in the state has gotten it <laughs> recovered already. So they've got enough antibodies. Uh, next firing here, Chargers firing Anthony Lynn. Uh, kind of a, a chance here to save his job was a really likable coach on Hard Knocks, which does kind of cloud the experience a bit. Four straight wins the end of the year. He's out. And I kind of think they had to do this because this was a team that I thought was a dark horse to even have a shot at the Super Bowl. Obviously, they're not. I don't think they would have beaten the Bills or the Chiefs knowing what we know now. But I think they could have made a run at these teams. And we saw them have moments of greatness here, even with some of their guys injured down the home stretch and or really throughout the year, Eckler being out. Um, I don't know that it's deserved. And it's kind of a bummer, you know, not to make it a, a racial thing. It's kind of a bummer to see a black coach get fired when he's liked and people were campaigning for him and all that. But it, it, this team has potential much, I mean, maybe much like the Jags, I guess, more than the Jags for sure, to be a legit contender. And I think you have to make that move if the team doesn't show it, but it makes me sad a little. Yeah, I think it... If your if your goal is to win right away, this is obviously the most attractive job because Justin Herbert, you know, looks like he's going to be one of the great quarterbacks in the game for a long time. So I think you just go there and figure everything else out. I do see the appeal of getting to kind of make your mark, hand select your quarterback, and and really build from the ground up. But yeah, I, coaches are going to want this job. I I assume this will be the number one coveted job for the free agent coaches just because Herbert is that good. And uh, the last part here, which is not a, a head coach firing, but I thought it was interesting. Uh, the Dolphins firing Chan Gailey after uh, he was named the offensive coordinator to start the year. They had fired the previous offensive coordinator to the first guy that Brian Flores had. Now they're going to go to a third. And I think this one, like Chan Gailey, I think you can make an argument, did not deserve this at all. I think Chad O'Shea didn't deserve it last year either. But this year, I think hey, he's been... Hang on real quick, Spags. I think that was, uh, from what I'm seeing, that was fake news. No, there was there was news articles about it. I searched it, says, it. It says, we've seen it all. ESPN got duped by a fake Adam Schefter account. Chan Gailey has not really? been fired. Oh. Well, and then ESPN that. issued a correction. It's on Yahoo. And... ESPN still has it up. Oh yeah, they now correct. Okay, so fuck. Well then, I honestly though, I'm not going to take the blame for this one. <laughs> it was on Yahoo no, no, and ESPN. I, yeah, no, it's... Uh, I, I had missed that too. I just seen some people tweeting about the oh. uh, the thing. Wow. All right. So we got, all right. Well, look, I, I know people expect so much more of us as splash play than ESPN. <laughs> but, um, boy, that's a bad one. I, I just mean, didn't want, I didn't want you to have, you know, I knew you had a, a nice tight 25 minutes about the Chan Gailey firing. So I thought I would just cut you off right away. Yeah. That's uh, I, that was really the linchpin for the whole show. <laughs> talking about Chan Gailey. I mean, honestly, he should be fired. And if he got fired, it would have been because of Tua being incompetent. I just really wanted to talk about how much I hate Tua and how garbage he is. At least this year, I'm so 
upset at him. And you know, we we talked about I think last week uh, where I said I would take Drew Lock over to uh, and you were uh, maybe a little bit perturbed by that take. I think I saw it yesterday where Drew Lock against the Raiders like looked vibrant. His team loves him. Like he's I don't think he's a good QB. He needs to make some improvements in the offseason, but I would still take Drew Lock over Tua because I just uh, Tua's something's not right there. And and I do think you probably should have changed the OCs, at least changed the QB coach because I didn't like anything I saw from Tua this year besides that one Cardinals game. Yeah, I don't know. I I have a bias because I'm a Dolphins fan, but I I think people overreact like way too much. I mean, he came in halfway through the year. He's had what? six, seven, eight career starts ever. I know he, I will admit he has not looked good. He's looked tentative. I do think some of that is a product of the offense. You know, they're not really designing uh, an up-tempo offense, an offense that allows him to push the ball down the field. They might be doing that purposefully because they don't think he's ready to make those kind of throws and those kind of plays. But I am not ready to to fully close the book on Tua. It hasn't looked great uh, in comparison to a guy like Herbert coming out of the gate. But I think I mentioned this on a previous show, but like people were ready to write off Josh Allen early on. I think this organization can continue to kind of cater things to him. I will say I saw one article, Kevin Cole over at Pro Football Focus wrote something about how even if you still believe in Tua long-term, you should use one of those early picks on another quarterback. And he's made this argument for lots of teams. He was actually the person who was pushing for the Eagles to draft Jalen Hurts last year, despite you know, putting uh, a nice contract on Carson Wentz and just that idea of, hey, it's the most valuable position in football. These quarterbacks are what determine the fate of your franchise for years, sometimes decades. Take a lot of stabs on it. So I wouldn't begrudge the Dolphins for taking a stab, maybe getting someone in there to push Tua, but I don't think the story's done with Tua. I don't think it's done to be clear. And I, and to me, I would err on the other side. Like I actually do think from a, a team management approach and, you know, the data people who would back that out where you could probably, if you, if two is good next year, you can trade them for picks. You could do a Drew Brees, Philip Rivers thing there. Um, or I think, you know, Brees left in free agency, but that was sort of the concept there where you have the guy who hasn't fully proved it yet and you have somebody behind him. So if it goes South, you'll be okay. But I think if you do that, that sends the message too to Tua, who's already, I feel like a little bit fragile. The injury kind of knocked his stock down. Like, I would worry about doing that. Well, I think they have to ride with Tua right now. The Jets don't have to ride with Darnold. I think they could take kind of one or two pathways. But I think if they took a QB, you know, which they makes sense from a draft capital standpoint, I think they're just fucking Tua that way. So I don't know. I just didn't like what I saw of them. I felt like the offense was appreciably worse without Fitzpatrick. And Fitzpatrick's a veteran. I get it. But if you're Tua, like, I, I want to see some approximation of that offense and, you know, the downfield throwing, the making Devontae Parker and Gasicki live up to their potential like Fitzpatrick was. And I just didn't see any of that. So I think there's a lot of growth to go, but he's young. You're right. Like there's, uh, he definitely deserves one more year, at least to, to show that he can do something. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, the, the NFL is so competitive, right? Like every single position, they're constantly bringing in guys. There's always someone gunning for your job. So just because it's the marquee quarterback position and they've invested a lot in you, like it's just, it's tough luck. Like, Hey, yeah, we might bring in competition. Like, yeah, we drafted you to be the franchise, but this is a, what have you done? lately for me league. And I'm sure the, the leash is getting a little shorter, but who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe that lights a fire under them too, being like, Hey, you can't just coast and do this. Like you need to buckle down and continue to earn this job. So I think that healthy competition could be fine in that context too. 
Yeah, I think I would still be inclined to take, you know, a skill position guy as somebody uh, in the chat was just saying, I just pulled the screen away. Um, uh, 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 let's see. Uh, Lond, Londhow? Londhow? <laughs> Londhow saying, uh, two had no one to throw to with Parker not being able to stay on the field. Same thing with Preston Williams, too. I still think, you know, Fitzpatrick gets better results with that skeleton crew they had, but maybe you draft a big play receiver. Maybe you draft a, you know, a, if you want to really be not smart relative to draft capital, draft a stud running back or something. But um, I, I think that there are some ways here that they can improve that offense. And then if Tua can't do anything, you have a third round QB or something who could maybe take a crack, but uh, we'll see how that goes. And uh, the last coaching jobs here that are up for grabs, these are ones we already knew about, but the Lions, Texans, Falcons have openings. I think that Raheem Morris has a decent shot to get that Falcons one given, you know, they look spry down the stretch. Maybe he gets screwed out of that, but, uh, you know, turning the defense around, kind of turning the results around a bit. I think he'll get a longer look, but knowing these jobs, Pete, knowing that we have the Jets, the Jags, the Chargers, the Lions, the Texans, the Falcons, you had to choose. If you're, if you're going to you, they've seen your streams. They think this guy, I loved his cash game videos. I think he's ready to coach. That's the kind of conservative approach that we want as our head coach. Which job do you want to be hired for here between those openings? I I do think, I do think I'd go to Jacksonville. Really? Uh, over the Chargers. Over the Chargers. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just for Visca. <laughs> Just so like, mainly for Visca. You know, I want to, you know, live a little closer to my buddy, Patrick Laird. Uh, I want to be able to hand select my quarterback. I don't want to really live in LA. I will say if it was San Diego, I would go back to San Diego. Uh, so I am factoring in uh, quality of life here as well. And uh, I think oh, I've Los just, Angeles is so terrible, Pete. I <laughs> can't even imagine what a dunce you'd have to be to live in downtown Los Angeles. <laughs> you bastard. <laughs> I mean, Inglewood's on the upswing, like, property real cheap. <laughs> so there's like lots of McRibs nearby from what I'm seeing. They look the McRibs. Uh, Pete, of course, referring to the festival of McRibs that occurred after the new year where I made my girlfriend eat one for the first time. And even the dogs got to split one because that's how much I support McRib economy. I forget what I said to you on Instagram, and I was like, it seems like you guys keep manufacturing excuses to get McRibs. <laughs> and you're right, because I, I honestly can't justify it, you know, for my own needs, especially, you know, with with the girlfriend here, like she normally wants to eat healthier and wants to do that. So the only times I've gotten McRibs are like adultery McRibs when she's out <laughs> going to hang out with a friend or something. But yeah, to get her on board, I, the festival of McRibs, guys, I feel like if you want to get a McRib, there's no better way to do it than to put on a festival. I like this idea of you, uh, you know, sharing it publicly but also having to feel guilty about it at the same time it's a great phenomenon you get the honestly though some of my most engagement in terms of people replying to instagram stories i'm not like tweeting about the mcrib i'm not trying to be a mcrib influencer though that would honestly be fantastic um uh, but like people reply all the time to the mcrib because the mcrib just stirs up something in people's hearts and i feel like that's how i feel it's warming yeah no i i mean i feel like if yeah if you were doing like a, a buzzfeed or clickbait type article you just you know you do the the five things i learned while eating a mcrib every day in the month of january i mean think about the clicks that would get spags I I could do like you could definitely lose weight on a McRib diet. It's just you would have to only eat McRibs. <laughs> like the chat, Tony Porcelli. Yeah, I've heard Specs talk about his McRibs. So, I oh it. yeah, this is my brand. I look, I, I like the McRib. I don't know what to tell you. Um, Willis though, Willis saying it's so bad that hurts Willis. I feel like, but an accountant wouldn't you know embrace the the free nature, the free swinging style of a McRib. Wow, I didn't know this fun fact. Slash from Guns N' Roses lived off of McRibs and whiskey. 
Wow, Lonhout making a case for MVP here with these McRib factoids and pointing out <laughs> the Dolphins roster being shit. I I appreciate it. Yeah, Greg saying we should be sponsored by the McRib. Could you imagine if we like because we talked about the McRib, we just happened to get some influencer money from McDonald's? That'd be fantastic. Yeah, you know it's um they are we need them to have like a new marketing manager who's really trying some out of the box ideas, partnering with niche within a niche uh, fantasy football shows and uh, see what that can do for them. Maybe he would, uh, you know, might have seen some of our our quality content out there, saw the holiday special, and thought these guys, let's get some McRibs in their hands and see what they can do. Uh, one can only hope. Let's talk the draft order real fast. And I feel like the one thing to point out here, Trevor Lawrence is going to go first. I feel like that's not. We're not making a bold statement. <laughs> Thank you for the buy a McRib. Help the show out. Buy a McRib. I didn't know that was a thing you could do. I like that. That's part of the stream yard. I'm moving to stream yard too. So Pete and I can do similar production things. And I, I like that, that they have a ticker where you can just encourage people to buy a McRib. Yeah, it's uh, it's very powerful. <laughs> it's The influence is very real. Uh, Jaguar is going to take Trevor Lawrence. The Jets will see what they do. But the thing that I just need to talk about with this draft order, and I guess the first five picks we could do, Jacksonville number one, Jets number two, Miami number three, Falcons number four, Cincinnati number five. Uh, Falcons probably one to watch in terms of what they do here. Like, do they... Are they going to take another weapon for Matt Ryan when he has so many, or are they going to do something else? It feels like a team that just grabs a defensive pick, but the dolphins being at number three, because Houston traded their picks away for Laramie Tunsil and for uh, Kenny stills. That's brutal, man. To lose a number three pick is so not good, but also so great for the dolphins because the dolphins, like they're not going to win the East probably next year because you know, Buffalo barring something weird happening with them. But like the Dolphins are so well equipped to be good for the next five years, if two is something, or if they, you know, salvage this, this QB situation somehow. Yeah, no, I was looking at this. I mean, they have four draft picks in the first uh, two rounds of this draft. I mean, and that is significant ammo to to add to an already really good core. And we've talked about it on previous shows too. Like they've been building up their offensive line, their defense. So um, I do think they need another playmaker on offense. You know, Devontae Parker's getting older. He has a hard time staying healthy. I think if they could get another kind of dynamic wide receiver in that offense, um, that would be huge for them as well. And uh, yeah, I think they're, they're po poised to, to really continue to improve and just be a tough, tough team in that division for a long time. So yeah, I'm, I'm still bullish on the dolphins. Yeah, no, I think that's, I mean, honestly, getting a top three pick never going to be a bad thing. And especially from a trade like that one, where clearly hasn't hurt them any, and honestly probably hasn't helped the Texans as much as they would have hoped. Uh, so you get a number three pick out of that's pretty good. And also one thing here, which, you know, we got the Falcons, we got the Bengals at four and five, the Eagles though, at number six, like looking at this, honestly, you know, with them in the game situation they had yesterday, there was really no reason to tank that game because if they didn't tank that game, if they had somehow won that, they would have been a uh, five, 10 and one. So then they would have gotten the uh, let's see, they would have gotten the 11th and actually no, the 12th pick, I think. So they would have fallen like five more spots. So uh, if you want to be mad at the Eagles, I get it, but they're the number six pick now, and that's a much better pick to do whatever they need to do to hopefully turn things around for them. Yeah, no, I, uh, sorry. I got, I just got distracted by uh, a message spags. I'll just be put my cards on the table here. Can you, can you say that? Again? <laughs> so the, the Eagles basically threw their game yesterday, but if they didn't throw their game yesterday, they would have been a five, 10 and one. And that would have put them actually, I think at the number 13 spot, they would have finished uh, you know, with a record better than the chargers at seven and nine, but still uh, worse than, excuse me, better than the, uh, the Niners at six and 10. See, now you fucked me up <laughs> better than the chargers at seven and nine. So like they would have been basically, 
the number 13. So they gained yeah. seven spots by fucking up that game yesterday. Yeah. First of all, I will just say, so Slack has been down all day. And yeah. so I've been trying to communicate with some of my coworkers and then like the messages will then come in in a flurry and I'll get like the little thing. And I'm like, oh shit, did I miss something? Um, so that's why I, uh, I no, it's fine. Um, it's- yeah, I well, And I feel like that's the whole issue in general with the whole tanking thing, right. Of the disconnect between what a front office and GMs and, you know, people who are trying to think long-term versus the coaches and the players who have literal incentives and baked into their contracts and bonuses to succeed right now. They're playing for future contracts and all of this stuff. So I don't know. I, I feel like if you are going to, you know, outright tank, you got to be very smart about it. I feel like the jets keeping Adam Gase around all season was like a very smart way of doing that. Um, whereas, I don't know. I don't begrudge any of these players out here for playing hard uh, and trying to extend, you know, their time in the NFL. Yeah, I would not be mad at all for the Eagles if they did win that game. But like, you know, in terms of an organizational move, you look at that and you literally look at the fact that that would have had an appreciable difference. It's not even like dropping one spot. Um, You shouldn't drop seven spots for pride. Like I get it. And Doug Peterson has some rumors swirling around him too. So there would have been a case really for him to actually try to push for that win. Uh, But they didn't have to do that. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting one to look at and maybe justifies the Eagles, you know, lack of effort a little bit more. Um, you know, let's, let's just get to stat shaming here because I feel like this is one that we need to hit on here. And instead of the usual three way here for our, our plays that got unsustainable numbers or that we're trying to figure out if we consider them beautiful to healthy way to touch us. Um, we got four today because I think there were four worth hitting on. I think we can close out with this and then talk a little bit of playoffs fast. Um, and then of course our full preview of all the playoff games for NFL DFS for betting, that'll be coming on Friday, probably with the guests, possibly a very special guest. We'll find out how that goes, but let's do stat shaming Pete. The first yeah. one up, your boy, Isaiah McKenzie, six catches, 65 yards, two touchdowns on nine targets. He also has two rushes. He also had a return touchdown, I believe a punt return touchdown TD there. Looked amazing here and kind of one of those guys that uh, clearly not a key part of the Bills offense, but sort of hard to argue here that you, sh- you may want to get him in the mix a little bit more for the playoffs, maybe some gadget work for him. I won't shame him. I'll shame him a little bit. Like he's not going to do this every week. Clearly he's not going to move ahead of Beasley, not going to move ahead of Gabriel Davis, definitely not going to move ahead of Diggs, but McKenzie should be out there more doing something because clearly he's a dynamic with the ball in his hands. Yeah, he he's a fun player. I think we do have to stat shame him because uh, of a couple reasons. One, like you mentioned, all of those other guys weren't playing as significant minutes. Um, I will say they have been working him in. Uh, they give him a few touches every game. Uh, some of those jet sweeps, you know, trying to get him involved. But also punt return touchdowns are very random, you know, as far as uh, how often you could replicate that. So between his extended run as a wide receiver, the punt return touchdown, I believe we have no choice but to stat shame him. That said, Isaiah McKenzie will probably be a fixture of uh, some of my showdown lineups when the Bills play in the playoffs here. Yeah, or, you know, if Gabriel Davis somehow opens way for him to get more routes, I think McKenzie, a guy to watch. So, yeah, I agree. You know, hard to expect punt return touchdowns to occur every week unless uh, you're Dante Hall, old school Dante Hall or Devin Hester. But uh, we'll see how he does. Another guy here who I think, I think we shouldn't stat shame, but I feel like it's just so heavily driven by one play. Jerry Judy, five catches, 140 yards, and a TD on seven targets. Judy's been a guy who all year long, I thought he would be as good as Justin Jefferson coming in. You know, you can argue part of that's him having Drew Luck at QB instead of Kirk Cousins. And I think that's a big part of it. But I'm going to shame Judy a little here just because I think he's still the same dude, a guy who's not going to get the exact return on the results you're hoping for with his targets, with his air yards. Um, 
intriguing going into next year, but this is now going to make him, I think a little overhyped going into next year. So I'm going to shame him a little, but you know, I'm, I'm ready to be wrong on him and have him be a star. Yeah. Um, I, man, I am torn on this one. I think he, the yards after the catch on that touchdown were, were awesome. I mean, I think he's an explosive dude. Sorry. The chat is now telling yeah, Josh Jacobs arrested yeah. for, a were you just reading that too? <laughs> he's having a tough year. Like you could tell with him kind of going off on fantasy players. Like there's something, I think a little bit angsty going on there. It's not a, not a great look. Yeah, man. Josh Jacobs, uh, rough. Oh, and he collided with a car too near the McCarran airport. Okay. Yeah, that is, that's awful. <laughs> so he got a little tipsy on a flight apparently, or before a flight and ended crashes. So that's <laughs> wow. Uh, sorry. What were we talking about? Jerry Judy? Yeah. Jerry Judy. Are we yeah. shaming him or no? No, I, I'm not going to shame him because his volume has been pretty consistent this year. He's just had to deal with kind of erratic, you know, ball placement from Drew Locke, but he has been good. Uh, and like I said, that touchdown where most of that was yards after the catch, him really just pulling away. Uh, I think he got overshadowed a little bit this year because this rookie class was so good. Lamb, Jefferson, T. Higgins, you know, all of those guys really popped. I think in different environments, different quarterbacks, like, I think Judy would have had a very similar year to CD lamb. If he played with Dak Prescott all year, I think they're pretty similar from a talent perspective. So I'm not going to shame him. I think he's going to have a very good career. I think he'll be better next year. If drew lock is back at QB and he doesn't have to relearn and they get the off season to work together and do all that stuff that they might've missed out on some of this year. So uh, definitely some reason for hope there. Uh, also Josh Jacobs, just to go back real fast. Would it shock you if he gets like Eddie Lacy fat in the next few years and is just like fumbles his way out of the league? No, no. no. I mean, anyone who can get baited into an argument with the counselor on Instagram, I don't <laughs> really uh, feel that great about their long-term prospects in the league. Um, yeah. And also no worries about getting us off track with the Josh Jacobs news in the chat. That's why we have you guys here. We appreciate you guys watching live. And when something like that happens, we want to be able to give a take and we would not have known Josh Jacobs was, a uh, was getting DUIs and, um, just what an unlikable dude down the stretch. I hope he, I hope he figures it out though. Uh, next got a stat shame here. Potentially Alex Madison, 21 carries for 95 yards and a TD three catches for 50 yards and a TD. And I'm not going to stat shame this man at all. I think he's gorgeous. I love him in every way. I want to see him out there. Um, I think he would be, you know, not as good as Dalvin. Dalvin is an amazing runner. Um, but you look at the numbers, the yards after contact has been pretty close for these guys. The yards per rush, pretty close to these guys. I think Madison's really good. And I think people maybe have been down on him because of some down fantasy weeks in the past. But if he's ever got a role where he's going to have volume, he'll be good. I just don't know if that's going to happen in Minnesota anytime soon. Yeah, I, I've definitely, you know, I was worried about him just because we've seen them be willing to use Amir Abdullah, Mike Boone, and, and they did, but they still run the ball so much. And that was such a good game environment um, that, yeah, I was impressed with him. I generally fall uh, on the spectrum of running backs don't matter that much. And even though Dalvin Cook is a great talent, the fact that a guy like Alexander Madison can step right in there and produce relatively similar to what you would have expected from Dalvin Cook in that spot uh, impresses me. So yeah, I will I will not shame Alexander Madison. I think he did uh, what uh, what he should have done, what we expected him to do. Also, Daniel saying Denver should try to sign Matt Stafford. The one thing that I've seen from Denver is that they are rumored to be willing to take on the Carson Wentz contract, which I don't know that I buy, but that does seem like a John Elway move that would completely also ruin that team. Yeah. 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 Uh, last stat shaming here, and then we'll call it quits here. And again, we'll be back on Friday. And I guess we'll, we'll give like our 30 second thoughts on the playoff matchups. Cause I know Pete's got to get some stuff done. Darwin Thompson, 14 rushes for 45 yards and a TD seven catches for 65 yards and a TD. 
And uh, Darwin, to me, I, I obviously you're going to stat shame him based on the role. He's not going to get that kind of looks uh, probably in the playoffs moving forward, whether they have Clyde Edwards Hilaire or not. Uh, but still, Darwin, to me, looked really good in that game relative to what you'd expect from him, especially in the passing game, which is something that Edwards Hilaire we thought was going to have coming in this year. Really hasn't been involved in, in the passing game as you would think. And Darwin, to me, I think should maybe have gotten some snaps over Darrell Williams throughout the year. Uh, maybe should have gotten some more third down looks because he looked explosive, looked like he learned some things from his kind of down rookie year last year. So I like Darwin Thompson, and I would like to see him being involved a little bit here in the playoffs. Yeah, man. Darwin Thompson was a guy, him and Justice Hill, last draft season, very hyped on those rookies, drafted them aggressively in leagues, and they completely flopped. It does make you wonder, though, seeing how good Darwin Thompson went, it's like, why have we been doing this charade with Le'Veon Bell? I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous because Darwin, he has some juice. He's agile. He can bust off big plays. Like, I, I don't know. It, it seems egregious to me that he hasn't gotten more burn with how good he looked. Yeah, no, I fully agree here. And I think especially, you know, just the past game work has been something that really hasn't been a factor for this offense. I mean, I said it a second ago, but I, I really surprised me that Edwards Hilaire was such a great pass game guy coming in. People are acting like he's going to be Marshall Falk. And then we actually see Darwin get used like that. Granted, you know, with Chad Henney in the mix, so maybe that changes the game plan. But, um, you know, still a weird situation. Uh, so we got one guy in the chat. Peter, are you seeing uh, our boy? Yeah, I, he's, he's a notorious swole cast troll. I just put him in timeout. Uh, oh, okay. yeah, he has the stick he does in the chat. So he, Frank got put in a timeout for five minutes. Oh uh, boy. There was somebody who I uh, was in our awesome live before lock chat who was like, Oh, I like spags. And I think that splash play show is good. Other than that clown Peter over is that like, what? Did, like, <laughs> I don't know how you stir these reactions up for people. <laughs> you know, I'm a polarizing figure, man. It's uh once you're the cash game King, everyone wants to dethrone you. So I get it. Uh, let's let me pull up the schedule here because I don't for some reason there's no obviously laid out every every site has their own SEO version of the wild card weekend thing where they don't actually put the games up top now I have them in front of me let's do our quick thoughts here and then of course we're going to do our research come back Friday with a guest probably and do a little more deep dive for guys like Frank out there who don't like Pete's laffy taffy approach that he likes to do here uh Colts bills feet. I think this is a Bills steamroll spot to me. This is all building. If you were, you know, a, a pro wrestling booker, a UFC matchmaker, you're building up to bills chiefs. That's gotta be the one we get. I think the bills win this one. Maybe the Colts put up more fight than I'm giving them credit for, but I think the bills are a team of destiny this year. So I, I would take the bills. I'm with you. I'm taking the bills that said like the Colts have been, you know, this is just one metric to judge how like the sharps think about them, but like the sharp money has been on the Colts almost every single week this year. Like they have been a team that plays, uh, you know, above their head. A lot of the times they're, they're balanced on both sides of the ball. They have a veteran quarterback. So I think this could be a trickier spot than maybe people think, but I do think the bills still pull it out. Yeah. Uh, and also people, we, this is our Monday show. So we're not doing a lot of picks. We do this stuff on the Friday. If you want to come back then and find some actionable takes, you can do that. But a uh, weird, weird time to be trolling here at the end of the regular season, doing a recap show next game, Rams Seahawks. Uh, curious here. If John Wolford starts, we didn't talk enough about him, but Pete, I don't know if you watched, did a little game tape grinding with John Wolford. He looked good. I, he looked good. He looked spry Had the one bad turnover, but, um, you know, the Cardinals red zone defense is pretty good. The Seahawks defense, I think, you know, kind of a sleeping bad giant where somebody's going to put up a big game against them in the playoffs. If they start Wolford, I'm very intrigued by whatever the spread's going to be favoring the Rams. So, um, I, I, I like the Rams here, Pete. <laughs> Really? Yeah, no, I can't do that. And I, my hope, my hope is that 
now that the bullshit of of the season is done, uh, we can get back to Russ cooking. You know, like we we deserve for Russ to cook once again. This Seattle team was one of the most fun teams early on in the season. And um, I guess Tyler Lockett still had a decent day yesterday. They were throwing it a little bit more. But Seattle still is one of those teams that I think when they are playing optimally, I do think they're one of the best teams in football. And so, yes, I will take Russell Wilson over your boy, John Wolford, in the playoffs. I that that is one that I would consider putting a few dollars on. So we'll we'll see here next yeah, we'll game. <laughs> Bucks Washington. Um, I think it's actually a pretty decent spot for Washington. I think the Bucks pass defense really uh, not the best, but I, I find it hard to believe the Bucks don't win this one. Alex Smith can't handle pressure. He looks terrified. A couple shots he took yesterday against the Eagles, like he's not healthy. He's not all the way there. He's a great story, but the Bucks need to win this one. I, I would be surprised by any other outcome. Yeah, I think. Um... I think they are going to get trucked <laughs> in uh, in Tampa Bay. I, I don't think Tampa Bay is like a Super Bowl contender, a true contender. I think they are a little bit of a paper tiger, especially if Mike Evans misses some time. But that said, uh, this is a really bad st- spot for Washington on the road here. And I, I think the uh, – I was trying to pull up what the spread was. Do we have an early line on this game? Uh, let me see. I'll pull up my usual site. We got um... – Tampa Bay minus eight and a half, 46 and a half point total. Yeah, I, I'd probably I'd probably take that. I think this is a, a smash spot for Tampa here. Uh, other game here, moving on to the Sundays. And again, we'll do a full preview here, just doing fast takes, just our, our quick thoughts. Baltimore, Tennessee, Baltimore, three and a half point favorite. Um, I don't have a great feel on this one. I, I really think this wouldn't shock me to see it go either way, but uh, Baltimore so unimpressive. But that game this week, they really put it down with the run. I, I'm intrigued by Baltimore here. Yeah, uh, I'm excited about this one rematch from that playoff game yeah. last year. Uh, I do feel like Baltimore is one of the hotter teams going right now. It took them a little while for things to click. Uh, but yeah, I, I like Baltimore here, even on the road at Tennessee. What is going on with the chat? <laughs> this is, I'm not even, you can continue to indulge. This is someone who has 19 shell accounts. They do this bit on the Swolecast uh, where they pop up and, uh, and troll the show. Jesus but I, <laughs> it's like, can you talk NBA? Yeah, maybe some other times, I guess. But last few games here Chicago, New Orleans, uh, New Orleans, a nine. Wait, no. Why is this coming up? That's Chicago didn't make the playoffs. So this site <laughs> didn't update, I guess, the presumed matchups. Uh, let me go back then. I was trying to go to the gambling site that I usually pull my data from, and that's not working. What's the other Sunday game then? The Chicago at New Orleans. Oh, is it? Is it Chicago? I thought Chicago didn't. Oh, I fucked up then. Hold up. Yeah, we got Chicago at New Orleans and Cleveland at Pittsburgh, I think, are the other two. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I just dyslexic that. That's why. Chicago, New Orleans, uh, minus nine and a half for, for New Orleans here. Uh, I think Chicago's live here as an underdog, honestly. Um, I think Trubisky got kind of a bad rap down the stretch, but Robinson, Ma- like Montgomery, all those guys have looked pretty good. And New Orleans, I think, uh, you know, you're going to have Kamara for this one. Very generous scheduling potentially here uh, with Kamara expected to be available. But I, I like the Bears here to cover it. It's a very big line for the Bears. Yeah, uh, the I think I think New Orleans will uh, will handle this. But that number is big. And New Orleans has played a lot of teams closer than they probably should have this year. So I don't know. I might be inclined to take the points there, even if I think New Orleans wins. And then we got the Browns-Steelers game to close it out. Pittsburgh favored by four after they uh, just lost with Mason Rudolph, who looked surprisingly competent, so more power to Mason Rudolph there. Um, I I do think, though, that it would not surprise me to see Pittsburgh emerge from their cocoon for the playoffs here and beat Cleveland. I just feel like Cleveland shouldn't have really made it. No offense to the Browns fans out there, but I would take Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, I'm with you, although of all of the, let's say, you know, one, two, or three seeds, uh, I feel like Pittsburgh 
is probably the most vulnerable of all of those. All right. So there we go. So that's uh, that's our little quick thoughts here as we're getting all the delightful trolls here showing up in the chat. That's uh, one of the fun sides of a live show normally, uh, but maybe a little bit rattling when we're still trying to get our read on the games coming up. Pete, what are the plugs for the week? Obviously, at Peter Overs, that's your through line for all of your content, but anything good in particular? Yeah, this week on Ship Chasing, we're going to do multiple shows about the FFPC Playoff Challenge. So they have this contest. It's kind of like this quasi best ball format where everyone can submit a team with one player from each playoff team. So there's a lot of interesting kind of game theory to trying to make sure you have a unique lineup that other people don't have. Um, so yeah, we're going to be doing multiple shows about that over on the ship chasing channel this week. So if you guys are getting into the, uh, the playoff challenge streets and I know underdog as well has a best ball playoff tournament contest, I might do a stream about that as well. So yeah, just getting excited for, uh, for some playoff football. Yeah, playoff DFS, uh, definitely an easy time to predict uh, predict volume, to predict uh, some of the things that we look for most in fantasy. So we will continue to have shows here. People have a ton of content. I'll be doing some Osmo live before lock shows for NBA and NFL coming up. We appreciate you guys. We'll be back live again on Friday uh, without people spamming the chat. So uh, we'll see you guys then. Enjoy your weeks and good luck in whatever you're doing. See you guys.